So this week at work, and it, it was pretty hectic. And, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, if I could just maybe have a moment of confession. Um, I wrapped this message up at about 10 o'clock last night. And so just to kind of throw that out there, I want to, I want to warn you now, maybe how, how this morning might roll. Um, so that you, um, you would understand where that comes from. This morning I got up. Um, Ashley was in the bed having coffee and I was getting ready to go take a shower. So I go to my closet and I pull my clothes out that I'm going to wear. And I just put them on the bed and I start getting dressed. And about halfway through I said, we got to take a shower. <laughs> we get out and we go take a shower. So I did that. So when I got in the shower, doing my, my ritual in the shower, washing hair and shaving and everything, I'm getting out of the shower and realized I hadn't bathed back in the shower so that I can finish my ritual. So I just want to enlighten you on how this morning's going to go, how this week's been and how this morning's going to go. Um, all these things have been happening over the last 70-something uh, hours or so. So what I would like for us to do, maybe, is just for a minute could we pray again. Um, and, and what I would like is maybe just for you guys to pray. Uh, pray for today, pray for me, uh, pray that the Holy Spirit will do this work. So would you all bow your heads? Pray. Father, may my insufficiency and anxiety decrease, and may you increase. May your word increase. May the glory of your Son increase in us today. May this word rise up in us and transform us. Father, the enemy wants to busy us with so many menial things and so many small and dumb things. God, I am begging you right now that, Father, would you show yourself in your word to us. And through the power of your spirit, would you transform our hearts. And may your name be above every name that is named in heaven and on earth. Amen. So I don't know if you know this about me, but I was raised country I know you can't tell by my accent and probably my culture and things, but I'm talking about I was raised in the woods. And I grew up there, and it wasn't until I was probably a sophomore in high school before I came to a great metropolis like Seoul. Um, and I'm talking about this is a city. You, you folks are city. And so it took me some adjusting. Um, and, and, and one of the things that I felt, I guess it's, it's a cultural thing. I didn't know it until I came here, but it's, it's a cultural thing. Actually, I'm actually talking about different cultures this morning, but um, it's, a, it's a cultural thing, I think, where I come from, that uh, these things right here, I had to stop and buy, I bought two of them because, because you know, I want to share with somebody. Has anybody ever eaten one of these? These are pickled sausages that you buy at the convenience stores. <laughs> hey, these things are fantastic. And I brought two. If you haven't tried one, I want to share one with you after the service today. Um, but I didn't realize that it's a cultural thing. The, the, the giant red hot pickled sausage is a cultural thing to where I was raised. And no, they sell it here, but I think these are, they probably sit in the box of the convention for a long time because I don't think anybody eats them. I, the only person I've ever met that eats these besides my people um, is, is Hunter. And Hunter's kind of my people. And so uh, he enjoys these as much as I do. These are. 
Um, well, they're a hot dog for one, and so that already kind of puts it up for debate about everything. But not only that, but they package it, um, and they pickle it in vinegar, and they put some seasons and things in it like that. Um, but the most interesting thing about this uh, is what they put the ingredients on it. Because they don't tell you everything on there, because I know what else is in here that didn't make the label, but I know it's in here, so I'm going to share it with you. Uh, but just a couple of things. Um, one, there's mechanically separated chickens in here. I don't know why they gotta tell you they're mechanically separated. Like, why can't you just say there's chicken in here? But they want you to know that not only did they kill a chicken and stuff it into this hot pickled sausage, but they mechanically separated the chicken in order to do so, in order to get it in here. So there's mechanically separated chicken in here. There's beef lips, like the lips of a cow in here. My guess is it's all the undesirable meat that you can't like harvest from a cow or a pig or a chicken that you stick in here. Um, and to make it even more scrumptious, we pickle it and put some like uh, seasoning and stuff in it. Now, if you've never experienced one of these, man, I really want to do it right. <laughs> I want to open this thing so you can smell. Would you guys mind if I did that? Huh? You mind? Oh yeah, okay, so we got someone breaking it. We won't, we won't open it. But I would love to share the smell with you. And I, I got, like I said, I got extra, so. Uh, if you want one after the service, I would be more than happy to share with you. Um, I love those things. I absolutely love people who eat sausage. And when I stop at a convenience store, if we're on a road trip or something like that, I'm getting one of them. And I'm eating it. And I think it's just a cultural thing because Look, Ashley's face, that face she has right now, that's the one she has when we were riding in the car because the aroma kind of fills the car. She's like, you got to get rid of that nasty thing. I don't even know how you eat it. You know, me and Hunter, we're just going to town. You know, it's, it's great. So, um, why do I say that? Why do I share something like that with you? Um, first of all, it's my culture, my people. You know, you go back home, we, you don't find them hanging around on the store, on the store shelf. I mean, it's best sellers. And so, uh, uh, they go quick when they show up. But today our story uh, reveals to us that same situation, uh, the same conditions with sin. Um, here we see in the scripture, we're going to walk through it. And I didn't have, um, I didn't have Trent read the scripture. But I mean, we're going to kind of walk through most of it. So we'll have the, the big picture. By the time we're, we're done today, we'll have the big picture of the story. Um, but here what we're going to see is that God's people who were once slaves, they were under this bondage of evil, this evil taskmaster uh, named Pharaoh, or served as, as the role of Pharaoh. Uh, they were slaves, they were enslaved to this person, enslaved to Egypt. Not only were they enslaved to Egypt under this evil ruler, but they were also slaves to sin. Um, and God in His great mercy liberated them from the bondage of slavery. That's what we get in the book of Exodus. And as he does so, they couldn't shake their desire to sin. They couldn't shake their desire for this nasty pickled sausage from the sea store. Like they couldn't shake it. They couldn't themselves crucify their sin, their desire to sin. And here's the deal. Neither can you and neither can I. We don't have that ability to do so ourselves. And so... What we'll be reminded of today is that no matter how gracious God is, no matter how much He flexes His muscles, no matter how strong He shows Himself, we cannot get the taste of sin out of our minds. 
we cannot shake the desire to sin. No matter what He's done for us in our lives, what we've seen God do, we can't shake the notion, the desire to want to sin. And so we're left with this question that we'll just kind of keep going over today. So what do we do about that? What in the world can we do about this? And last week we left off in chapter 8 uh, where Trent was showing us that the city had been rebuilt. The wall was finished. The temple is once again a beacon um, of hope and a dwelling place for the glory of God. And the people were brought back into the city. And the highest priority whenever they got back into the city, they wanted to hear God's Word. That was their priority. And when everybody came back into the city, that's where 50,000 plus people flooded the streets when they came in and said, we want the Word of God. We want to hear the Word of God because they realized that sin is what drove them into exile. It drove them away from the city. drove them into captivity. Their sin drove them there. And the only thing that keeps them from captivity to their sin is God. So immediately as they, they come back into the city, it's like, we want God. We know that we are kept in Him, and we know that when we run from Him, there's trouble. And so we want God. Bring out the Word. Read the Word to us. And so as you recall last week, as the Word was being read, as God's Word was being proclaimed, these people were moved by their sin. They, they heard the Word of God, and they were cut, and they began to mourn. They begin to weep. Look at verse 9 at chapter 8. You don't have to put there. I'm just going to kind of catch us up. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all of you, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. The people hear the word of God, and then they begin to weep because they see how good God has been, how good and gracious He how unfaithful they are. And that's what the Word of God does to us. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to show us just how gracious and how good God is and how far away from Him we are in our sin. And that's what they were experiencing. So the text would go on to say that Ezra and Nehemiah pretty much calls a time out. It says, well guys, hold on just a second. Instead of looking to ourselves, instead of looking at us and wallowing in our shame, right? You... Instead of doing all those things, let's just take a time out right now and let's just gaze on the goodness of God. Let's just look at God and let's be, let's rest in Him and let's be still in Him before we go any further. And so the story had a different ending in verse 12. It said, all, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So we, at the end of this time out now, this is where we're at right now, that they, they rejoiced when they, when, they, when they sat and rested and were still before God and just gazed at Him and how beautiful He is and how gracious and kind and merciful He is. We moved out of that time out. And that's where we find ourselves today. And the reality is that, yes, we need to remember God's goodness. We still have to deal with our sin. We still have to deal with that. So yes, they, they wanted to weep and mourn and deal with that. The person said, no, 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 no. You, you can't do You have to give. You have to seek God first. You have to, you have to be still before God and rejoice in Him first before we can deal with sin. But your sin must be dealt with. Our sin must be dealt with. At the end of chapter 8, when the feasting and the partying was over, we'll say it was a solemn assembly. Right? The party's over. 
dying down, verse 1 of chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. It says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, and with earth on their heads, or dust on their heads. That was a, a sign of, of mourning and fasting. So here's what I want for today. What I want for today is to be a solemn assembly for us. I want this to be a solemn gathering for us. What I hope and pray for today is that every one of us, every single one that's in this room, will get a right view of who God is. To get a right view of who God is today. Because the only, it's only when we have this right view of God do we have the right understanding of how deadly our sin is. Right? Like, it's only as we understand God can we understand how devastating our sin is. We were to make lightly of our sin, then that's just a proclamation that we don't understand the cross. We don't understand the crucifixion of Jesus if we make light of our sin. So we have to get a right view of God. And out of a right view of God and out of a right understanding of the tragedy of our sin comes a rejoicing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Then we can rejoice, then we can celebrate, but it's only after we have a right view of God and a right understanding of how deadly our sin is. And look at verse 2, chapter 9, verse 2. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. So they separated themselves because guess what? They've got a little bit of family business to do. Separate themselves from every everyone else because there's family business to take care of. And what we're fixing to do, what's fixing to go down here is what Israel's thinking is they won't understand. This solemn assembly and this this moment of repentance that we're fixing to have is going to be misunderstood by the world. But it has to happen. And so we're dealing with a family issue. What they're getting ready to do is just not going to make sense. And so, just like our time together today, um, you cannot understand your sin until you understand God. You can't understand how deadly and how tragic your sin is until you understand God right until you have a right view. So here's what I mean when I say sin. Uh, if I can just generally define sin at, 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 at a broad level, uh, sin is missing the mark that God has set. It's just missing the mark that God has set. With this de definition, um, how many of us are not sinners? Right. At some point or another, we missed the mark. That's just that's just the honest reality that every single one of us, and that now, now some equality has been set in the room. That every single one of us has missed the mark of God and we sin. So whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, here's our one equalizer. We're, we're, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And this is why the people are weeping and fasting. This is why they are sitting with dust on their heads and sackcloth weeping and fasting and mourning and praying because they realize they have a right understanding of who God is now and they realize the tragedy of their sin how deadly it is. And so not only do they address their sin, but they address the sins of their father. Now how many of us do that? Like think about this. Like man, my, and, and my grandfather, there's some things that I'm sure um, would he's done some things, okay? My grandfather, there's stories that I've heard of. It's like, goodness, that's, that's 
unreal, that's unheard of. Um, but I don't, in my prayer time, when I'm confessing to a brother or praying and confessing to God, I don't talk about the sins that he did. I don't talk about my father's sin. But these, you see what's going on here. They're, they're confessing their sins, but also the sins of their father. And here's, here's why. The confession comes from a right understanding of God. Right? We can confess when we understand God. And when we understand God, here's what we know. That sin is primarily against God. It's primarily against God. It's not, yes, it, it, of course, it, you've been hurt by other people's sins. Of course, right? Of course, you've been lied to. Of course, you've been cheated on. Of course, you've been deceived. Of course, you've hurt people with your sin. Of course, you've lied to somebody. Of course, you've deceived people. Of course, you've cheated. Right? So yes, I don't want to minimize the fact that sin is against others. But above all, we all sin against God. Every single one of us. And that's the primary focus is that our sin primarily goes against God. And if we're going to understand sin, we have to have this high view of who God is. We, we have to have, look at verse 3. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law Lord their God for a quarter of the day. Now, if I were just to stand here to start reading scripture to you, how many of you are checking out in about an hour now, right? For a quarter of the day, they're there assembled together, hearing the word read to them. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worship the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Benai, Kadmael, Shabaniah. Benai, Sherebiah, Benai, and Shenanai. And they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiah, Benai, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God for everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Now imagine this moment. Imagine this moment. <laughs> The people are sitting in sackcloth and dust, grieved by their sins, absolutely broken over their sins. And the first instructions that they receive, you're broken in your sin, you are weeping and mourning over your sin. The first instruction is this, God is high and worthy to be praised. Stand up and praise God because He is worthy and He is high and His name is above all names. So he's worthy, he's worthy of your praise and your honor and your worship in your mess and in your sin and in your brokenness. Before you can deal with your sin, before these people can deal with their sin, before I can deal with my sin, I must understand God. I must understand who He is. That He is a good and gracious and honorable God, regardless of who I am and regardless of what I've done. He is a good and gracious God. And so if you're new to the Bible today, Today is your lucky day. Uh, if you're about to get some Old Testament summed up in a handful of verses here. I'm talking about the Old Testament from the beginning up to this point that they're writing this, this book. You're going to get it summed up in a few verses. Uh, so if you would, humor me and follow along starting in verse 9. I'm sorry, we'll start in verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, 
the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Parasite, the Jebusite, and the Gergeshite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry in the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water from them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go into the, go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed the leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. You are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. You gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You, you multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand, and their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and rich land and took possessions of houses full of all good things, cisterns already human, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled came fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies. You made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from their hand, from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rested, they did evil again before you. 
and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, and yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck, would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hands of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Here we see the fullest retelling of the Old Testament in the Old Testament. You just got from creation up to this point what's been going on in the world. And I want you to recognize that this was a prayer. These people broke out in prayer and 30 times they used the word you, you, you did this, God, you did that. It is a prayer that retells the Old Testament. It is the longest prayer in the Bible. I wanted to read this entire section. I know that was a big chunk, but the reason I wanted to read this whole section is to remind us that God is gracious. Man sins. God is still gracious. Man sins. And God is still gracious. And man still sins. And God is gracious and man still sins. You see this over and over and over in this story. The story of the is our story too. It's our story too. But the big question that we're left with, here's the big question, right? It should be our question to ask for ourselves too. But you read the story like, okay, I saw, I saw everything that God's doing. Why do they keep sinning? After everything that God has done, why do they keep sinning? We just went through the Old Testament, summarized, and all I see, all I see is the goodness of God, right? That's all I see in there. Why would they rebel against that? Why would they rebel against that? Why would they run from that? The beginning of this prayer starts with the telling of Genesis chapter 1. It starts talking about creation. That God is creator of everything. He created all things. He created you. He owns everything. Even you. God does. He is the creator of all things. He has created incredible things for us to enjoy. Incredible things for us to, to, to enjoy. But not to become absorbed by them. Not to be become consumed by them and idolize these things. This creation is a gift to remind us of how good He is. And so when you sit down and you have a good meal, you're just like, man, this is good, I want more. That, that notion that you have, God wants you to enjoy Him in that. He created that for you to enjoy. He wants that to point to you. That satisfaction that you feel, He wants it to be found in Him. That He provided that for you. So we see the book of Genesis would take a, a bit of a turn for the worse in our story. You get to the Tower of Babel and you see people saying, God, we're, we're going to take what you made for us and make it to glorify ourselves. We're going to make a great name for ourselves by the things that you've given us. You, you see in verse 7 and 8 of this section of prayer that we read that recounting of Abram's call that here is this moon worshiping pagan called Abram. 
And God calls him from his tribe and makes a promise to him. He says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you a great nation. And when people put their eyes on what, and what I've done through you, they're going, to, they're going to praise me. They're going to worship me. And so the promise to bless him and to show his glory to me, that was what he did there. So we learned in our deep end series, if you were with us as we walked through the life of Abraham, you would, you would see there that um, there was a moment where Abraham just didn't trust God. Right? He called him out from this moon-worshiping pagan tribe and said, I want you to be my people. As the journey began, Abram didn't trust God and he rebelled against him. And despite Abram's unfaithfulness, God kept his promise. Despite Abram's unfaithfulness, God is faithful. So verse 9 of this prayer, 15, in the book of Exodus, God is flexing his muscles. He's showing his strength. He rescues his people from enslavement in Egypt. And he leads them through the Red Sea onto a red carpet and eventually into the promised land. And he promised them. What do they do? What do they do because of that? What God has done, how do they respond? Verse 16. But they and their and our fathers acted presumptuously, and they stiffened their neck, and they did not obey your commands, they refused to obey, and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a good, or you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Over and over and over the people turn their backs on God and over and over and over God is faithful. Verse 18 is the recounting of the moment God's people worshiped this golden calf at the foot of the Mount Sinai. God was preparing Moses, Moses to, to receive the law. The people came became impatient. So if Moses isn't coming back, he must have just been taken up in glory. They became anxious, and they did what all people do when you become anxious and impatient. You take your clothes off and you throw a party. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, that was kind of weird. The Bible gets weird sometimes. But that's what happened here. Um, they get naked and they throw a party. Because they're impatient and they're anxious, right? And so they're partying, and they decide to pull all their jewelry together, right? And they're going to throw it all in the fire, and then this golden calf miraculously just kind of comes out of there, and so they, hey, they're going to worship that calf, right? And so when Moses comes down the mountain, even Aaron's getting turned up, man. He's like, hey, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're this, we didn't know you were coming back. Like, this, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed that you found us this way. And over and over and over, what you see is that God's people turn their back on him. And over and over and over, you see God's faithfulness, that he remains faithful. Verse 19 through 25, you see this, that God continues to lead them, to sustain them, to instruct them, to feed them. God, a God who rains down bread from heaven for you to eat is a very, very good God. He is a very, very good God. We see the rest of this prayer retelling of Joshua. Um, Almighty Yahweh is conquering kingdoms, and He's busting down walls, and He hand-delivers the land to the Israelites that He promised them. And how do They were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you 
gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, did evil again for you. You abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies over and over and over the people of God turned their backs on him and over and over and over God is over and over and over God is faithful. Verse 29, you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commands. Here we go again, but sin against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and spit in their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through the prophets. Yet they would not get here, therefore you gave them into the hand of the people of the land. Nevertheless, and you nevertheless in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Over and over and over, the people turned their backs on God and over and over and over God is faithful over and over and over we turn our backs on God and over and over and over he is faithful to us he was gracious and merciful to the Israelites he is gracious and merciful to us so why do they keep sinning why do they keep running from God why do they keep turning their backs on God. Verse 31, Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. Although, God, you have set for me a banquet, gave me a chair, gave me a seat at this table, to feast on all this good stuff, I'm going to stop at the convenience store and buy a nasty pickled sausage. Like, come on. That's what it's like, you know? You've been gracious and kind to me, God. You've been generous to me. And I love my sin. I love it. I can't get the taste out of my mouth. Regardless of how good and how gracious you've been, so what, what are we supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Although we've been freed from slavery, we still have a desire to sin. Right? Like, right? We love Jesus, right? We want to honor God with our lives, right? But we still struggle with sin. Every single one of us in this room would give ourselves over to something undesirable and unhonorable to God. So, we, although we've been freed, we have this desire. Here's the deal. The law was never meant to put to death the sin. The law was never meant for that. Keeping the laws here and the rules and hey, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments in order to be uh, uh, acceptable before God. The law was never meant for you and I to accomplish. So, maybe can I just put a light on that for a second? The law was never meant for you and I to accomplish. It wasn't the metrics that we had to, we had to go by in order to become acceptable to God. So many times I hear so many people say things that are harmful like that. Well, you got to keep this rule and you got to do that. And if you're not doing this, then are you even a Christian? Like, do you even love Jesus? Or who even are you? You're wicked because you're breaking the rules and the law. The law was put in place to awaken us to the reality of our sin. 
That's why the law was given. The law was given so that we could see the goodness and holiness of God and say, woe is me. I, I, can't, I can't even come close to that. That's what the law was put in place for, to awaken us to the reality that we too are slaves. We are in, in our own slavery. And God is the only one who can and does liberate us from our slavery. He is the only one that can accomplish it. He is the only one that can do it. God. Laws cannot liberate us from this desire to sin. You and I both know that. Here are the rules. Which ones am I going to break? Which ones am I going to get close to? Laws do not break that desire to want to sin. Human effort, keeping the law, does not kill our desire to want to sin. Only God can do that. Only God can kill that desire. He is gracious and He is merciful. But what happens? What happens when God's mercy runs out? What happens when His mercy runs out? When He's done being gracious and merciful, what happens then? Can, can, I, go, um, can I go a little bit old school on you? And say, hell is what happens when God's mercy runs out. Hell is what happens when God's mercy runs out. Eternal torment and separation from God is what happens when His mercy runs out. And hell is not this spontaneous punishment that He pulls the whip out on bad people. That's not what hell is. Hell is God giving sinners what they want. I don't want to be near you, God. I do not want to be connected to you, God. I'm running from you, God. I'm turning from you, God. So hell is God giving sinners what they want. That's what it looks like when His mercy runs out. He gives them what they want. Eternal separation from Him. And God's mercy is the only thing. Listen to this. God's mercy is the only thing that restrains any one of us from hell. His mercy only. So what happens when His mercy runs out? Eternal separation from Him. That's what happens. And I know that might sound a bit old school, uh, and we don't talk a lot about that. That's kind of, you know, a little, little harsh, a little heavy-handed. But that's the reality. That's what's in our heart. And God's mercy will run out, and that's He will give us over to that. So what do we do? What do we do, man? If the law didn't work, what do we do? If my human effort isn't working, what do I do? What can I do? And can I just maybe take you to my most favorite passage in all of Scripture? Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 25. Just this, this is just a portion of it, but I encourage you to read the whole chapter if you get along. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I want you to pay attention to how many times God says, I will. I want you to pay attention to that. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all of your, all of your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Why didn't they obey God? Why did the people of Israel continue to be disobedient? Because they didn't have the ability to obey, obey God. Why do you and I are, remain enslaved to this? That God, had, God has to do it for us. We can't do it by human effort. We can't do it by rule keeping. God has to do it for us. He does it. 
He puts that spirit within us. He gives us the right heart that causes us to be obedient and to walk in His statutes and to walk in His ways. Apart from Him doing it, you cannot do it. You cannot accomplish what God requires apart from Him. So God had to do on the inside, or on the inside, the work, rather than just outside conformity. Because if it was just outside conformity, they're going to continue walking in it's just something that I'm trying to project an image of. I've got my stuff together, but I haven't been transformed on the inside. I'm just going to keep sinning. And I'm going to keep desiring. And, I, and I, I can't get the taste out of my mouth. So God made a way. You see that in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. And He came. All the things that God required, He said, my son's going to accomplish it. You have no ability to do so. So my son's going to do that for you. And not only is He going to take on all the wrath that's owed to you, but all the righteousness that, he, that is His becomes yours now. So, when the question's asked, if, if, if God were to give a report on your life this week, what would He say? How would He answer that? Brothers and sisters, how would God answer the survey that, that He fills out in your life? Because if you say anything other than righteous and holy, you've missed it. Because in Christ, that's how God sees you. He did the work. He's transferred that righteousness to you. Look at verse uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's doing all the work. God's doing all the work. How was Noah's sins paid for? Here's some good questions for us. Right? How does the Old Testament people uh, uh, become righteous before God? How was Abraham's sins paid for? How was Nehemiah's sins paid for? How was the tribe of Israel's sins paid for? If Jesus didn't die before they lived, how were anyone's sins paid for? Because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. The same ability and offer that has been given to us today is the same that was given to Noah and Abraham. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in God. And so let's apply this for today. Remember, we're talking about some family business, and I want this to be a solemn assembly uh, for us today. Why do we Christians continue to sin against God? Why do we continue to sin against God? If Jesus died for us, accredited His righteousness to us? Why do I have this unquenchable hunger for convenience or pickled sausage? Why? Knowing all the fullness and grace of God in Christ Jesus, why can't I stay away from sin? Why can't I do it? Why can't I do it? And I know you struggle. Don't think, well, I, like I, I, you know, I got all together. I'm like, I'm here every week. I'm confessing sin. Pray for it. It's good. I'm just struggling. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with sin. 
to this degree. Look at verse uh, 21 of Romans chapter 7. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God my inner being, but I see my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making captive the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do we ever get that broken over our sin? Do we ever feel the weight of that? Have you ever felt this kind of shame on you? Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Even when we look back on the Israelites, we would want to try to disconnect or, or to escape the story and to just kind of look at what's going on in the Old Testament and say they're so stupid like he parted the sea and they went through and they're still acting stupid and he's raining down bread from heaven and feeding them and they're still acting stupid and he's giving them water from a rock and they're still acting stupid we would have the tendency to act that way and here's the deal they only have a microscopic glimpse of Christ we have the story in full, and we still say no to God. We have the full story, and we still say no to God. We know that Jesus died for our sins. We know about the resurrection. We know how good He is. We know the riches that are full in Christ Jesus. We know the Spirit that dwells within us that gives us the power to conquer sin, and we still sin against this gracious and merciful God. Why? Why do we do that? Blood-bought, sold-out, Jesus-loving fanatic. Still sick because before this point, maybe if I can just kind of turn, turn the tide down just for a second. Before this point of you being a blood-bought, redeemed follower of Jesus Christ, you were imprinted with this flesh, this sin nature. You were imprinted with it, and you practiced it, and you you got really, really, really good at it because you were born in flesh that wants to sin and continues to exist, how are we to deal with this flesh problem? That we're still, obviously, we're still in a broken place, and my body is broken, and so is yours, and this is all a result of the fall. How are we to deal with this? We deal with it the same way Paul dealt with it. He would go on in chapter 7 and say, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my flesh, serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in His flesh. So what are we to do? Love God, right? We want to obey God and we want to, we want to follow Him faithfully. What do we do? I'll close with this. We're going to land the thing here. Um, the first thing you need to do is to acknowledge what Christ has done. And I hope that you get a picture of that in today's uh, uh, just study of Scripture, of all the things that God has done in Christ Jesus. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge. Celebrate what He's done died for our sins, right? He's died for your sins. He's died so that our desire to sin would decrease and our desire to run after God and to be obedient would increase. That's what Christ has done. So we acknowledge that. And we take sin seriously. 
take sin seriously. Sin is so serious that it killed the Son of God. Why would you let it kill Take sin seriously. Um, I, I was, as I was studying, I came across this analogy. It said, you know, sin is it's like a baby tiger. So you can, you know, when it's a little baby tiger, you can pet it and it's cute and everything. But when that joker grows up, he's going to bite your face off. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what, that's a, an analogy for sin you can think about. Um, so take sin very seriously. It was so serious to kill the Son of God. And abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. You have been purchased by Christ and are living in Christ. The way you walk more faithfully is by doing things in Him. That's how you walk more faithfully. Hey, listen, man, sometimes you just need to hit the off button on that place. Sometimes you just have to do that and sit with the Word of God and sit in the presence of God. You want to you want to you want to kill that desire to sin? You have to sit in the presence of God. Abide, sit in His presence. Rest in 